Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What is up on a Wednesday? I am Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. Got a great Wednesday show for you. We've got Ryan Buchanan, the old QB, back on the show. He talks a lot about what he did and didn't see in the passing offense against Auburn. I thought he had some really interesting things to say about how Ole Miss approached that game, building Jackson Cart Dart's confidence or a lack of doing so, and what he needs to see from the Rebels against LSU to prove they're a contender in the SEC West. So good stuff from Buchanan as always. And then we got another episode of the Nick Broker Show. We talked to Nick about the 7-0 start, went over Auburn, and what lies ahead for this team over the final five games of the season. So Great show. Buckle up. Before we get to that, though, I wanted to remind you, podcast is brought to you by a new sponsor, Ray Stevens of Square Real Estate. He is a real estate agent based in Oxford. Whether you're looking to buy or sell a home, Ray can help you out. Both of those and make the process easy. He provides individual service to each and every customer, whether you're looking for a two-bedroom condo or your five-bedroom Dream House, Ray can hook you up with which at whatever your needs are. He'll sit down, listen to what you're looking for, and help you with options that will meet your needs and help you find a home you will cherish. Or if you're looking to sell a home, he will make sure you get the best possible price and help you find that next place wherever it is you may be going. You need to check him out. All you have to do is give him a call at 601-624-4824. Maybe you went to Oxford this weekend. You probably enjoyed it. Ole Miss went to 7-0, but you don't have a place to stay. You paid for an overpriced hotel room. How about just finding a place up here? Give Ray Stevens a call. He will help you do that, and boom, all of a sudden you have a year-round getaway to Oxford or maybe you're looking to move to Oxford full-time. He can help you find the best possible house to meet your needs, or you're selling, trying to buy another one. Let him remove the hassle from the selling process. Check him out, Ray Stevens, Square Real Estate. That's 601-624-4824. Give him a call. Tell him we sent you, and he'll get you all hooked up. I wouldn't send you to people I don't trust. Ray is a rock star. You need to check him out. Ray Stevens at Square Real Estate, broker number 662-832-7777. Podcast is also brought to you by Skyblock Sports Picks. Who is Skyblock Sports Picks? Glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website. The inventors of the Skyblock Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skyblock to the top of the sports handicapping industry. Hitting on college football at 60% this year. You know who's not hitting at 60%? Neither you or I, or you out there who aren't using Skyblock. If you are using Skyblock, then you know all about this. You need to check them out. They're going to find a picks package to fit your price range that's month-long, Season long, you try it for a week, a day, I don't know, a month. You can go all sports, sports-centric, whatever the case may be. All you have to do is go online, find a picks package, whether it's college, NFL, all sports. Type it in. They'll send you a nice emailed spreadsheet each week, and boom, you're better equipped to profit than you were 10 minutes prior. You don't need to go off your own knowledge and your own brain. It's never going to work in the long run. You need to give the professionals a call. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. All right, here's Ryan Buchanan. All right, we now welcome on Jackson Preparatory School legend, scholar-athlete, um, almost uh, thumbless Ryan Buchanan. We were talking right before we recorded this thing. You almost lost a limb. All right, no, a limb would be wrong. You didn't lose an arm. Uh, it's a, a thumb uh, a couple weeks ago in what appeared to be a farming tractor accident, but you're all stitched up. You're playing hurt this time of the season. Everybody's playing hurt. How how we feeling? <laughs> we're feeling good, uh... We got the stitches on it in time and, and stop the bleeding and, and get them out this week. So uh, 
Yeah, that'd be nice. We got to it in time, so we're all good. You can still catch a football, so that's good. That's solid. The fact that you were able, you know, working on the farm and able to like be like, okay, I need to go get to a doctor uh, is impressive. And I say impressive just because I'm, I'm a gigantic wuss myself. I don't really do blood that well to where is it that had happened to me and I'd have seen that. I'd been like, All right, I guess it's just it. Like I'll dig a shallow grave. <laughs> we'll just wait till we bleed out. I just, <laughs> I don't do blood well. That would have freaked me the hell out. I, uh, so when I was in high school, I was playing like a pickup basketball game at my girlfriend's house and ran into a garage door track. They like sliced my knee down basically to the kneecap. And like, it looked way worse than it was, but uh, I went to the ER, the ER doctor uh, who sewed me up. I don't know if he's drunk, but it just healed terribly. Like I look, I literally, <laughs> like I got bit by jaws. I have the worst looking scar possible on my knee uh, to the point where my mom, every time I wear shorts is like, can we get that lasered off? And I'm like, no, it's, it's a story. Now I can tell people it was spring break 98 the shark swam away after I hit it, but just not a great situation all around. Hopefully yours will heal a little better. <laughs> that's a, that's a good, there's always a good story with the scars. So if you see one, it's always worth asking. You'd always run into it. It's usually not something that cool. It's usually running into a garage door or, or something falling on you. Exactly. That's uh that's why you have to lie. So Ole Miss, we are seven and uh, the Rebels are seven and oh. Um, they win 48-34 over Auburn this weekend. We'll just start there. I know it's been a couple weeks since we talked, but I, I was texting you a little bit over the weekend while we were, I think we were both at the game. Ole Miss runs for a ton of yards. They gave up a ton of yards on the ground. There wasn't a ton of opportunity in the passing game. I think they finished, uh, Dart finished 9-19 for 130. He had three touchdowns, which is kind of a hilarious theme of this season. Like when the Dart played well, the stat line hasn't necessarily reflected it. And then he didn't like play that great against Vanderbilt, but he threw for a gajillion yards and four touchdowns and it went in like the other direction. I feel like this one is a little bit more of a middle ground, but I mean, uh, as we are quarterback centric on this segment of the podcast, we will just start there. I thought there was some good and some bad in it. I know you were talking about, you know, some route concepts and some game plan stuff. Um, but I'll just kind of throw one macro thought at you. It did seem like regardless of their struggles in the passing game, there was a concerted effort that they knew that they could run all over Auburn. And that was clearly kind of the core of what they were trying to do each week, passing struggles aside. How do you kind of balance that with the fact that they didn't really have a ton of success in the passing game at all this week after a couple pretty good weeks in a row in terms of just production and guys kind of popping back to back a hundred yard receiving games. And then it kind of taking a turn this week. So uh, I do have some thoughts on that. And typically like you can sometimes see like make like a quarterback making mistakes or, you know, or there's a big pass rush, you know, week or, or maybe you have, you know, one of your key interior linemen or a tackle down and you're dealing with that. And, you know, due to those reasons, you know, you're, you're, you guys don't have time to create separation, et cetera. You know, you have a bad week or you don't, you know, whatever you call Jackson's bad week. And you can kind of see that. I didn't think he like did, regardless of whatever that stat line. I told you this Saturday. And I think like any normal fan out there that whether play the sport or not may have recognized this as well. This is the first time this season that I have gotten frustrated at our play calling offensively and there's a there's a long way about that uh so it may take a minute to kind of get out sure it wasn't like, like you said we did like struggle on our pat on our passing you know it wasn't 
It's not a generic, oh, we should have thrown the ball more. Like, you know, there's more to it than that, right? It's when we decided to throw and throw certain routes downfield is what I did not understand. And I, look, we, we do have a strong running game. I get that. We popped a couple big runs, went up 7-0. I can't remember if Dart's touchdown was when we were up 14 or if we when we were up 7 when he threw that. But it was uh, – we just ran so much. And we – you know, the times that at least in the second half that we were struggling, we would run four times in a row, maybe five. And then we may get a first down and then go – we go three and out on the, on the next, you know, uh, down in distance. Or we go get out there and run three plays in a row and go three and out. You know, it's like – and what I'm saying is it's not just saying throw the ball, but, like, there are certain things when you pop a big run. All right, you pop a big run, you get tackled by a safety, 30-yard gain. Defense is on their heels. The defensive line's running back. Get up there, signal in a play that could be a quick pass from first down. You have a five-yard out that these guys are tired. You got leverage. Take it to Casey Kelly. Catch it. Get seven. Now we're looking at you know second and three, and boom, we're going fast one more time. I'm taking a shot downfield. Quick fade, you know, because they play man coverage a lot. They play their safeties low because we run, we run the ball so darn much. And then boom, we score. Like that's it, it. You know, those are that's a throw on first down or after a big run, or especially coming off a big interception. That we just tend to dial back. Let's get everything together. Get two yards. And 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 it was just that some of that I could not wrap my head around. Of, and I'm not sure if that was. And I understand. I do understand the part of going up early at 21-0. You're kind of thinking our defense is playing great, right? They played pretty dang good all year. Well, then Auburn just popped a 70-yard run, right? One And one scramble for their quarterback, and then he gets outside the pocket, touchdown, bam, they score, and they came back quick, right? And that was kind of testament to us getting extremely conservative. And, look, I, the first touchdown that Dart threw that he almost underthrew, again, they were playing man coverage, and they are playing it a lot. And we ran a, a corner post, broke his ankles on the corner when he cut back to the post. I mean, I mean, it wasn't even in stride, but, like, great play call, great time to call that. And I was like, yes, like, you don't have to throw every down, but, like, there's certain times to strike, not waiting until he gets stopped twice in a row on your read option, and then you're third and eight. Yeah. And, and, you're, and you're moving slow to where they have time to kind of set and give their checks in there. And that's, that's a lot tougher on a quarterback. A quarterback that's 19 needs to have a play call, you know, after a big run. Or after a big, you know, interception or turnover, when there's a change of momentum and strike more on the first and second downs at the right times, because guys will be open then. But we just became extremely predictable, and I don't think that was. And look, I get it if our defense was just dominant, right? And we were contain, we were keeping their quarterback in, inside the box. We didn't let them get out, and they weren't making these big pop plays. Then I, then I kind of get that. I mean, I do. But that wasn't the case, and we're very vulnerable there. And we just we we called that game to let them right back into that. When I don't think Auburn's that good of a football team. I mean, I, I don't, I don't. I, we had a chance to really take the wind out of their sails. And knowing Kiffin, I'm really surprised that he didn't. And my other thing is too. So I kind of asked myself this question: Like, look, I'm saying I think we need to air it out more earlier in a possession, or give a play action after three. You know. We just get a first down after running it for a first down, right? Like three plays in a row, we get on third and two, we run it again, and then do it on like first down. So I was thinking like, okay, he still has not done that. It's been two hours, I feel like, since we threw a pass. So I was like, okay, well, I mean, 
is there a lot of pressure? No. When he threw that, when he threw his first touchdown, he sat there for five seconds inside the pocket. And I'm like, they're not throwing zone blitzes. They're not throwing a field missile or a corner fire. You know, Jackson does. I, I get that with a young quarterback. They're throwing a lot of crap at you and you don't know where to go with your hot routes and your running backs don't, you know what I mean? Like know how yeah. to pick up something. I, I get that, but that wasn't the case either. Cause I was watching that close. So I'm like, we have time here. And there were so many opportunities for man coverage. So that's another thing I didn't get. And lastly, I was like, okay, well, yeah, we may not be pushing downfield or doing many high, you know, we're not really pushing it over, you know, eight to 13 yard pass routes. Well, maybe like on all these RPOs or these guys are, are your two wide outs to the field. Do they have a bubble route? Is the outside guy blocking inside running a bubble? Do they have a key screen or like, is there something tagged every single time we run the ball? Or if they're blocking, because if they're blocking, I mean, that's not – it's just on Jackson. They're just calling an automatic run. The couple that I were able to see in the down and down distance that makes sense, I'll be honest, they did have our usual thing that we ran with Q Freeze and, and majority of SEC offenses have, is a bubble tag or a quick hitch. If, like, in the short side of the field, you usually have, like, a three-yard stop route. And if they're playing press or if there's a safety player at the top, you know that's not going to be there. But, like, again, that safety in the boundary sitting low which means he's kind of covering the run. He's coming down for the run. And the DB's already at six yards. That's just a catch if Jackson has his eyes out there. Abort the run. I'm going to play pitch and catch. Bingo. And you've seen it time and time again. Tommy did it. And, and when Shea Patterson was there for, you know, during those years, I mean, you throw that one ball to a big-time receiver, DK makes one guy miss, and it's a 40-yard pop. Huge change of momentum. Crowd gets up. I'm not saying that's on Jackson not seeing that. It may be a part of Lane saying – could have gone in the locker room saying, we're not throwing this. We're running it. I don't, I don't want you to throw you know, our screens attached to runs. I don't understand why, personally, Brian Scott. We lost to Florida in 2015 because we were playing off on our corners. They threw hitches every single day. We started eight yards. They would catch it. And next thing you know, it's a seven-yard gain. It's a pitch and catch. I mean, why, why run it and get stopped for a one-yard gain and go into a big – like that just when it's not working. And I've never been – I don't know. We could change this. Vanderbilt made sense to target the way we did. Jackson played great. They're not a good football team. And I just I, – it just – it was just interesting to me. I, the things I kept looking for, it didn't make sense while we kept hammering run, 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 and even with the run play, not be able to pull it and throw a quick slant or, you know, again, mixed up a little bit. And we let them get close in that game. And I felt like – and I could be wrong we, – we coached our way into that situation. Yeah, and there's a ton of credence to what you're saying, and it, it, you made a couple really terrific points throughout that, is the fact that, I mean, look, the Dayton Wade was the only Ole Miss rod receiver to record a catch. Uh, Malik Heath and Jonathan Mingo, Mingo coming off a record-setting day. Uh, Heath had a 100-yard game two weeks prior against Vanderbilt. How you even had Jordan Watkins go over 100, or excuse me, against Kentucky, and then you even had Jordan Watkins go over 100 against Vanderbilt. To it contrast that much to where you really only have one receiver make a catch the entire game, there's clearly something there with regard to the game plan. And, you know, I, you can compare Kentucky-Auburn secondaries. I'm not going to pretend to tell you which one's better on the surface, but there's an argument to be made that was the best secondary they'd face just sheerly off competition and kind of the favorable part of the front end of the schedule. And they didn't really pass the litmus test in that regard. And there's some good and bad to that. The, the negative piece of it is, well, you finally played a real defense. You finally played a decent secondary. 
and they didn't really respect your ability to throw the ball or that, that you mean, you mentioned the safety's playing low. It's either that or Ole Miss just didn't want to do it. I don't know which one is, but you know, in these final five games, they're going to play second. They're going to play defenses that are going to be much more successful in stopping the run. Even if Ole Miss is running it pretty well throughout the game, they're going to have drives where, you know, it turns into the third and eight because they stopped a couple of run plays. Now you're in an obvious passing situation. You mentioned the fact where you have a younger quarterback, why not get his confidence up and kind of throw it when the defense isn't expecting a pass to where you mentioned third and eight, third and nine, everybody in the building knows you're going to throw the ball, you know, regarding Kiffin has pulled some stuff out of his hat the last couple of years where he runs like a delayed running play or a quarterback power on an obvious passing situation. It works out, but they're not going to be able to get away with that all the time. They're going to have to show more in the passing game than they did this past week, game plan and running game success aside, so that part of it is certainly concerning. And I just wonder, you know, you mentioned, you probably already answered this question, like where, like what is the blame? What, where does that actually reside? Why did they do that? I'm curious what that is because I don't think it's a dart thing or a receiver's thing given the flashes of, you know, I don't say excellence is probably too strong of a word, but, you know, capability that the receivers had shown in the previous three games, that part of it didn't seem encouraging in the slightest and I, I mean look there's going to be a game in these last five games where dart's going to have to win the game throwing the football that has not come yet but i guarantee you whether it's in college station whether it's in starkville or excuse me not starkville um baton rouge that's going to come whether it's in Fayetteville, and just the opportunity to kind of build his confidence like you said throw in some you know downs where you don't necessarily know if it's going to be a runner or pass they didn't do that and that piece of it I think is certainly concerning. Now, could they come out next week and be fine in the passing game? Sure. This team, and I think it's the sign of a good coaching staff, really kind of just evolves into whatever that week's game plan is. I mean, Kiffin's talked about this pretty openly, right? We're not the same team week to week. We do what we think is the best opportunity to win the game. But there were certainly opportunities left out there. And it did seem more of a game plan thing, right? It wasn't a ah, darts not playing very well or the receivers are not playing bad. You just mentioned it. it. They just didn't call a great game from a passing game perspective. You know, it, it, it's fair to critique the coaching staff, even though they won and ran the football pretty well. I mean, it's still fair to say, okay, there's probably some opportunities left out there in the passing game. And it certainly felt that way, even though they're running the ball with great success, the, the idea that you're going to have a walk on ride receiver, make your only catches kind of proves your point, right? There's just opportunities left out there. And I'm just curious to see what the next version of that looks like, because again, it's going to get a hell of a lot tougher. Tougher it's going to get, I mean, it, it's in, in this, and that's, that's kind of what I'm trying to say. Like, yeah, we got, we, we, we got by Auburn with this and it, Talk, you know, yeah, it's tough for a quarterback to be in that third and nine situation. Because I just think about from a linebacker safety perspective, I mean, on first down, especially if you just had a big run or a big play, then another down and distance. I mean, you're keying in on that running back a lot. When it hits third and eight and the – well, they're going to jam that receiver so much harder than having their peak in their eyes inside, just from a DB perspective, they're going to may hold them a little bit hard longer for that split second that it's tough. And, you know, and again, let, so that's tough for one. And two, uh, it was going away in Baton Rouge, if they're holding just a little bit longer, not saying whether it's a penalty or not, but your, let, your tackles might not have heard that call, you know, to say, hey, the running back's helping out. And because he held them a little bit longer, you got to hold on to that ball boom, bad situation happens. So let's avoid that. 
and be a little less predictable in our play calling earlier in the down and distance. And we we have won by playing pretty bad football teams, and we have us having a above average, very above average running game. But then I think the, these teams where we're getting in deep into the season, LSU is starting to find themselves. I mean, they had a new coach. They had a, they're finding themselves a lot. Of, these teams are finding themselves, and they're feeling more comfortable. Uh, it, it worries me with how we call that game, and it, get, it may be different week to week. I, I, I know, and I get that. But it's going to be tough for a young quarterback if they don't trust them to go third and nine here. And, you know, I like the unpredictable power run. Jackson has great legs. Jackson's also really good when we drop back. And they're not spying him, and it's an easy step up in the pocket, and they're playing two man. Oh, I'm just going to run with a wide open first down for eight yards. I mean, that's another way to do it than taking a big hit and kind of risking him at the same time. I just think I I could you know I don't know I, I I'm surprised we didn't do that as much. I mean, I think a great thing to get quarterbacks confidence. You know, we've done a ton of jet sweeps. Um, it's worked pretty well. I don't know if those jet sweeps. The run jet sweeps are going to work against stronger defensive ends. But sending that slot guy, you know, underneath you, snapping the ball real quick and hitting him in the flats, you catch it, you get the ball out before your third step to your right, you hit him, you have your other wide receivers blocking, it's a little pitch and catch, get six yards, you know, gets a quarterback's confidence going instead of just a read option, stop to the line of scrimmage. Read option the other way, stop. Now we're in Death Valley and you can't hear anything, it's third and nine. There's ways to avoid that, I feel like. And, it, and it's a different game plan, but it's time they got to trust them. There's no more like, uh, let, let, I don't want to, I want to try to avoid that situation. I just don't think we're going to be able to have that running game success as much on these other teams without having an unpredictable pass game with it. And th- this is probably an impossible question for you to answer because he's not your teammate. You don't play quarterback in that system. And obviously you're not at practice every day, but this was the first game they played without Michael Trigg. And look, he's a freshman. He's a younger player. He'd already kind of just been swimming and treading water a bit, as it seemed, even when he was healthy. But that guy is still a ridiculous athlete. And someone, when he's on the field, defenses have to be like, okay, we can't, you know, we can't forget about this guy, right? You, you, you More attention is drawn to the tight end position when uh, Michael Trigg is on the field than when, Ch- and then when Casey Kelly is out on the field. And I just wonder, like, if you can speak to this at all, how much of an impact do you think that had? Because tight end is a very funny position in college football, right? I mean, Evan Ingham was a terrific tight end, was really an invaluable weapon for all those years. You were there and beyond that as well. When you lose something like that and you lose an element that you think is probably going to be over the middle of the field, like how much do you think it changes the calculus? Because one thing I did notice was the fact, you know, they put uh, they put Mingo in that H-back position almost as kind of a pseudo tight end a couple of times, and they moved some stuff around, and it was clearly – like it was very clear they were feeling Trigg's absence, whether it showed up on the stat sheet or not. I, I guess the fact is this in a question you're able to answer. What is the value of a really good, really athletic tight end like that versus when you don't have him on the field? Because clearly that made some sort of difference on Saturday. I just don't know how much. Yeah, I think it did make a difference. Um, and look, I don't know the playbook. I don't. I just know kind of generic schemes, I guess. Um, but that that would have to change how they prepare for this game uh, for sure. But I, there's just too many times that I also saw just it, it is first down. And you have one on one with Ming on the outside. Let him. The few times we threw it out, most times, sometimes you can get a thirty percent of the time get a pass and interference when you throw a one on one, right? I mean, like that DB kind of loses the ball in the sun. He, he gets tripped up a little bit. They're going. They're going to lean toward defensive pass interference on those that 
you know, again, he's not even there. There's no safety over the top. And like, we, we, we never did that. We never did that really one time unless it was a playing deep ball. Um, I just feel like you could, yes, it, look, it did hurt, but it, you would have, you would have to be the number one wide receiver in the SEC, almost like a DK Metcalf that can't be stopped with two guys on him to really change that much more so than a freshman tight end, sure. in my opinion, because we, Malik, it, it's not like we don't have anyone else. I mean, we really do have other good wide receivers that if you draw up a scheme or a high-low scheme that puts a safety in the wrong position or, you know, you just trust them one-on-one and get the ball out pretty quick, I mean, I feel like you could play to that as well. And not – I mean, you may not do it as much, but, man, just, again, like, we, we ran – we just ran it a lot. I don't think they would change it that aggressively, in my opinion, but just still the way we call that game. Well, and not to mention, it, it doesn't seem necessarily sustainable to have Jackson run the amount of times that he did, right? I think he ran it 10 or 11 times. He I don't like seeing that either. No, I mean, yeah. like, it's great, but it's just you, you, you're going to get oh, wrong one time with the defensive end and could have been a great clean hit, but someone just comes in late and it rolls your ankle. And, uh, you know, you should only kind of think about that as a certain amount of times to use in key situations than a part of the offense, as I would say, as valuable as he is because that type of running is not going to work against Will Anderson fine on the outside. I mean, not those, unless you're Lamar Jackson, it's, it's not going to work to that degree. I don't think you would have to have, like we're going to need Jackson and, and use his different qualities in other ways. Yeah, absolutely. And then there is a positive side. I thought to what came out of Saturday, despite the struggles in the passing game. And I wrote about this today is there weren't a ton of opportunities there as we just outlined You didn't have that, as I call it, an oh shit moment with Dart where he throws it, just kind of forces it. I mean, even beyond forcing it, it's just like, what the hell are you doing? Why are you throwing that? You saw him throw it down in the dirt a couple times early in the game. Um, No matter how how hard Dan Orlovsky apparently tried on the TV broadcast, the the screen interception was not his fault where Mingo drops it and it turns into like a volleyball type situation. They're probably, I mean, as bad as they struggled, do you draw a positive in the sense that, that, Dart took what was there and didn't try to force anything because we've seen that one to two times per game, no matter who they played. And you didn't really see that on Saturday at all. There weren't a ton of opportunities there. You, as you mentioned, it could very well be a deficiency of the game plan, but even when they did let him throw it, he didn't really try to force anything that wasn't there. I at least thought that was some sign of growth where he was just like, all right, not there. I'm going to throw it away. That piece of it, I thought was a positive despite the struggles. He did. I mean, that's what I'm saying. He played fine regardless of the stat line. But the hardest thing to do is when you don't have a lead and you're down yeah. three to 14. Okay. That, that, and that's they never trailed in this game. 21 0. That, that's an absolute massive thing because you're on a drive, you're down by 17. I mean, again, one touchdown, turnover by the defense. It may put you, you get one pick off their first possession. You're in the red zone, you score right there. To, you know, then you're at 10 points. What I'm saying is on the drive before, if you do kick a field goal, like it's okay to kick a field goal knowing how much time you have left. But if you feel like you're scrambling to the sideline, you're down by 17, I'm just going to throw this – kind of throw this one up and see what happens. Maybe, you know, you, you get to that you get to that point when you're up a lot, it's a lot easier. And, look, I'm not saying I was the best at this. I'm just saying kind of what goes through guys' minds of, of training them and, and talking with different guys. And kind of knowing, like, man, I have the ball is in my hands. That's the part of being a quarterback. It's in your hands. It's in your hands and something breaks down. It's in your hands the, the second, you know, it gets snapped. So when you run to the sideline, you're scrambling. I'm going to try to throw it back across my body. I can make it. But, man, you make that pick down 
you know, 14 in the second half. Game's over. Away, away, especially in a way, game's over. And and learning, I'm gonna toss this one out. Now we're at we're now we're at second and eight. And or, or you know, or something like that. So that's I'm not saying and he played clean. Uh and it but it helps having a lead at home by that much to play clean. It's just from a calming standpoint. And if we go down, we just going down versus LSU, we haven't really been down. I mean, and it's learning like, man, I, if you can be down by 14 or 17 in the third quarter, 10 minutes left. Like, you know, if your defense can get a pick, you know, you just got to kind of find that in between. And that's part of maturing as a quarterback is what I'm trying to say. And I'd like to see him like knowing, look, well, there's seven minutes left. You're done. You're down by 17. Make, you know, that, that makes sense in, in the seven minutes in the fourth quarter. I'm going to try to get this one, or especially fourth down throw. Of course, I'm going to force it. You know, at least I turn it over. I turn it over 40, 50 yards downfield. But it, this can be our, our first true testament, knowing how we've beaten these teams. We've gone up real early. We've just been a ground and pound that Jackson's had this whole time uh, of putting up points. Uh, so it's going to be – I mean, I can't say there's more of an ultimate test, regardless of what people say of LSU, than, than finally going away for a big game. Our big games have been Kentucky – and Auburn, both at home, Georgia Tech was horrendous, and they lost the head coach. So, I mean, what I'm saying, we're about to go to A&M, and they'll have 100,000. LSU will be fired up, and then that's really going to – that's your test right here. That's your test to see how he is and where he's at as a quarterback. Yeah, and that that's a great point, and, and, and something that we were I wrote about earlier in the week is, like, they haven't trailed. I mean, look, the only time they were down is is Vanderbilt, right? I mean, they never trailed in the Kentucky game. They never trailed in this game against Auburn. They got down 10 against Vanderbilt, and with all due respect to the Commodores up there, it's a little bit different than getting down 10 against an LSU or somewhere on the road, right? And we 2,000 have- crowd. I mean, that, that junior varsity home crowd is just so, very intimidating to come back against yeah. being down 10, so – I think they're able to, to to feel a little bit more confident there. It's not it's, it's a little different than than ninety five thousand. And that's what we're going to see uh, at some point, whether it's this week, whether it's A and M. I would venture to say it's this week. They're going to get down at some point, and Dart is going to have to, as you everything you just outlined, can he keep it within between the lines and make good decisions? Can he continue to move the ball down the field when they have to rely on the passing game more without being reckless? And that's something we have not seen. And you know the way they played last week doesn't necessarily lend itself to instill confidence that will happen. Again, it could very well happen. They just haven't trailed. We just haven't seen it yet. That's another weird quirk to this schedule and this and the elements that kind of went into it and this season as a whole. But it's going to happen at some point. And I guess to kind of crystallize all that into what we've been talking about, that helps when you've built up the quarterback's confidence earlier in the game, does it not, versus where he's only throwing in obvious passing downs. Like, you know, if they build up his confidence early in the game, against LSU and they get down 14 to seven, that will help him be better than if they just haven't let him loose at all. They've only thrown in obvious passing situations. Well, now if you're down seven or 10 with 10 minutes to go in the game. Now every down is somewhat of an obvious passing situation. Like there is value in building up the quarterback's confidence early in a football game before that moment happens. Is there not? It's absolutely huge. When you have confidence, you, you know, you made a good pass. You feel confident threading the needle. You feel confident that you know you're reading them. I mean, it's it's it, it's. I can't even explain how important that is. And I know the feeling of when you kind of get it's cocky in a way. Yeah. Um, and and feeling like, man, our receivers are winning because they're winning because 
you know, we made the right offense call, the right play, you know, play time. Like that was a perfect for a cover three cloud combination. He sat in the perfect zone. And like, I mean, everyone feels confident that we can go do this. And that's got to be, and to get in those situations, it's calling an unpredictable uh, times, I guess, or at times when a defense is kind of or they're kind of on their feet. Um, one thing I would definitely like to see, and I did mention earlier, I just want to say it again, I do think we'll still pop off a run against LSU. You know, we'll, we'll make – we'll have a great play call where tight end blocks down. We go wide. We pop it for 21. We're going – I want to kind of see after some of these plays, we dive back and we give them time and we kind of lose that momentum to strike again on a bigger pass play right there. Um, then just dial it back, let's run it two or three times again, and then we're putting. And we kind of lost the momentum of that big play. So, I not, look, I'm not an offensive play caller. I just remember coming to some of these things when, when Freeze won some big games and, and why they would call certain plays at certain times and I'm just really just passing that on. And I think that makes sense. Uh, then, then letting somebody get settled and, and dialed back to then kind of take your momentum away. Like you want to capitalize on momentum and strike when you can. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, well, I'm, I'm just so interested to see how we call this game. I mean, I really, I, I can't, I can't wait. I can't wait to see how we call it. Yeah. And th- another tight end question, and this probably pertains to receivers as well, because Mingo has been a pretty good blocker. As someone who's a former quarterback, like what is the value of a tight end? We, this can even extend to receivers too. That's a very good blocker because Trigg, I feel like, was kind of hit or miss. Casey Kelly made a couple of good blocks that Kiffin pointed out that kind of sparked long runs. I, I don't pretend to know what either of them are consistently as a blocker, but you had to have played with a couple through the years. How valuable is a really good blocking tight end or a really good receiver to the running game? And I mean, it may have some tentacles to it in the passing game as well, but just for someone who, like most of us out there, obviously never played in an offense like you had. How much of a difference maker when you have a tight end that's just really good at blocking or a receiver as well? Like, how much of a difference maker is that? It's a huge one. And it's more so on your outside. I mean, like, all right, with Tennessee beat Alabama, I didn't watch it that closely. You know, this is after the Ole Miss game. But I remember watching game day and Hypo was just saying how he's going to spread them out sideline to sideline. When you go sideline to sideline, it's not just your route combination, but when you do a jet sweep and you get on the perimeter to spread them outside the box, none of that works unless you hold your block for two to three seconds. None of it. And all if you want a big pop of a run by Quinshawn or Zach, it's not going to happen because it's not going to happen if we can't block on the outside. For the, if you get a split second that you can, he's popping a run for thirty compared for seven yards, and if that DB can slide off of that and get to his ankles and. And it, look, we haven't done it a lot in this offense of the you know, screen games attached to runs that I like throwing. And, you know, I, you just – every time we would get up there, you know, Chatter or, or me, you would just look – you would get up there, set, letting them know whatever play it is, and you just pick your eyes up real quick. How – the DB's playing at three, four yards and then the strong safety's at 12. I'm saying screw the run. I'm throwing the bubble. He's playing 12 yards off. Now that's all worthless if Laquan does not manhandle that DB. It's yeah. all worthless. If he manhandles him or Cody Core, someone can hold that block in Quincy out of boys that would catch a quick bubble. I could pop my feet and get it out before the defensive end gets upfield. He's catching that. And man, it's a one-on-one up open field tackle versus a very, very fast slot guy. 
and you're popping off 15, 20 yards right there. Not a hard pass and catch. That could have been a run play stopped at the line of scrimmage versus really big teams. That's called spreading out. But that's all worthless unless you have a dominant wide receiver on the outside. If a guy cannot block or does not understand, I have to hit from the inside and push to the sideline, and he takes an outside shoulder, well, then, I mean, you're running, but, you know, the, the DB's going to have leverage on the inside and make that tackle before first down. And just guys learning how to block in this type of offenses nowadays is just so pivotal if you're not going to line up under center and run off tackle. It's, it's actually pivotal whether – and, again, it's not just for the screens if you have that attached to a run. It's when they pop a run, the running back gets upfield, he gets past the linebacker, and if you hold that wide receiver block for one extra second longer, he's really going for a long, long game. Yeah, and the, the screen piece of it is interesting because you mentioned the bubble screen aspect of it. They haven't done a whole lot of stuff to get either running back involved in the passing game, and I don't know what their skill set is. You know, if you just look at it coming into the year, Ulysses Bentley was the most proven cash, pass catcher of any of the three backs. He did that fairly well for two years at SMU. Um, and, you, and the fact that you haven't seen it would lend me to believe, to, at least to some degree, that that may not be Evans or Judkin's strength. But are you surprised at all that they have not, as good a running backs as they both are, they haven't utilized them in short passing and screen concepts at all? I mean, I, I don't know how many catches they have in the year, but like, I mean, they haven't done it at all. And I don't know what the reason for that is. But that's also dude. something that takes pressure off a young quarterback, is it not? They didn't call it the right time. And let's think of all the Alvin Kamara screens I mean how many times we've we seen the Saints utilize that I feel like with these guys it's not like you know they're they're both Scarboroughs out there I mean they have kind of the same build as, as AK and and they're fast they can get north and south quick but man I just don't remember going to play action rolling to one side throwing a screen back to the running back or anything kind of creative like that that I think now I didn't see my Auburn was that big of a blitzing team and but I was you know I wasn't watching all on TV I was in the stands but uh, I think that can be utilized more, but they may have terrible hands. I mean, they were, they were, we had some running backs who had horrible hands, I remember. Some had really, really good ones. Uh, Ely had classic hands. He was almost, yeah, I mean, he could catch a lot of different balls and he could be using the passing game a lot. So maybe they don't. I mean, but I, again, I, I don't know that answer how they are. I have to watch a practice and kind of see how they track a ball or, or how they catch it. What did you make of Ashford? I, I've asked a couple people this. The Auburn guy last week, I've asked Weldon. No one seems – I say no one seems to agree. I kind of feel bad for him in some ways because he wasn't really supposed to play this year. He's a guy that's a really dynamic athlete that, you know, he wasn't on Miss Committee, ends up at Oregon, he comes back to Auburn. I doubt he anticipated playing this year. But he's got a lame duck head coach. His offensive line stinks. Like, if you were Robbie Ashford this year, what would your mindset be? Because it, I thought it was very interesting. You know, I, they, ESPN, for all their faults on the broadcast, when I watched the game on Sunday morning again, had a really interesting anecdote. When they scored their first touchdown, Ashford keeps it on the read, runs in the end zone. Well, he and Tank Bixby are kind of getting into it on the sideline. And allegedly, according to the ESPN sideline reporter, she allegedly heard – that, you know, Ashford yelling some version of don't give up on me. The assistant coaches separate them. And the one of the assistants is like, who cares who scored the touchdown? That doesn't sound like everything's great in paradise. And clearly in Auburn situation, that's not the case. I'm just curious, if you were in Robbie Ashford's shoes, how would you feel about this season? Are you pumped about getting reps? Are you upset that just like I have nothing to work with? This kind of sucks. Like, 
What did you make of Astrid as a quarterback and just the situation he's been thrust in? Because he is a very dynamic athlete. Accuracy throwing the football has always been his kind of knock from the time he was in high school. What do you make of the situations that he's in? I was impressed with him to some degree, but man, it seems like he's up against it when things are even going well. Well, uh, that was the case. Uh, that's pretty depressing to have that that much to have that selfish of a running back. I mean, that's horrible. If I heard that, I would I want to tell him get off get off the team. Yeah, uh, that's never. I mean, I'm telling you, I, from Jalen Walton, Jordan Wilkins. I mean, all, all these guys that that have played here. Ely was younger than me, but that's never crossed anyone's mind. I mean, that's well, it, it might cross your mind. Like you want to win a football game, you're so fired up. It. Like that was never a. It's like you want to win. I mean, that doesn't cross your mind. Like, oh, you kept it, or I kept it. Like, we scored a touchdown. We're we we just we're 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 up seven. Whatever it is. I mean, that that blows my mind that you could have that how how bad of a relationship that is, or the team motto, or however they want to think about it. Like, that's pretty rough. But if I was Robbie, I mean, in the, the day, I mean, you still put your head down. And you still want to perform real well. You're always performing in front of at least sixty thousand people, performing in front of enough hundreds of thousands on TV. And you know, I would you you he'll be working with his guys, no matter how bad the situation is, to to go out and fight each week. I mean, you just don't go out there going, "Well, this sucks." When you walk out to Thunderstruck being playing at Alabama or something, yeah. or I mean, whatever, you just can't, it doesn't really cross your mind. It might with five minutes left in the fourth or something like that. But I mean, look, he's, I do think he's, he's very, 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 very dynamic. He can run real well. A couple throws I saw, like he had a dig, not much pressure. And I know the line does, is not that favorable, but there's times that he just really had routes. He just kind of bailed out because it's easy. You see this all the time with guys that can run, that can extend plays. Like Will Rogers is the opposite. You know, it's a Heisman contender, really is, but he stays in there and, and can go through his reads for that extra one to two seconds and gets a great completion. And uh, he, he's just a little quick to get out, but it has extended plays and the, the scramble drills to the sideline. It worked against Ole Miss. Uh, but I know that, that is tough, though, if that is the case. I mean, if you're a running back is ever saying, why'd you keep it? You scored a touchdown, your team is in a very bad place. Yeah, and then, like, a couple of weeks ago, like, Finley, I think after the Penn State game, retweeted some, like, stat thing where it was, like, Auburn was pressured on, like, 78% of their dropbacks in the second half. And, like, if I was, like, a coach or an offensive coordinator, I'd just be like, really, dude, like, what, what, what's going on here? Like, I, I would get so much hell from – I mean, you would literally hear that locker the next day, like, are you kidding me? Yeah, I like, mean, what's like, up with you? I mean, like, like – like what's up with you? Like you don't do. I don't understand. That doesn't. I don't understand how you would possibly do that. But what quarterback in your right mind would do that? I mean, it just that, that would never happen at Alabama, even if they were down. That just doesn't. I mean, so that that's just the mentality of how a program is run. Now I think that still comes back to a head coach. I mean, he's the one who has to create the synergy for everybody. And between my gosh, your offensive line and quarterback, that is horrible. And on the Ashford piece of it, last thing on him, one of the things that, you know, you guys as quarterbacks, and it really is the nature of football in general, but no none position more so than quarterback is the mental toughness. What are you doing when things aren't going well 
like how, for someone that's played the position, like how, how would you describe how hard of a mental test that is where you're just getting your ass kicked on every play and you have to continue to get back up and continue to try knowing that there's not a high success rate. Granted, they did come back and they continue to play well in this game. Much to my shock, I thought Auburn, when they got down 21, nothing might roll over, but just how hard is that when you don't have much going for you offensively, you're getting smacked, you're down 21, nothing, but you as the leader of the football team and kind of the instrumental piece in the offense have to just say, like, you just have to get up and continue to play the next play. That would seem like a very hard thing to do that people don't necessarily think about. You mentioned playing in front of 60,000 people each week and, you know, I'm putting words in your mouth to some degree, but just having some pride about yourself. How hard is that to do when things are going as poorly as they have for Auburn? You can't sit there and be silent for one. You, you, you have to say, you mean, let's do this that's a very clean way to say it however you know football language like let, let's go you know what i mean like we're not done yet like you cannot sit there for one second and be quiet i want to do that now i want to you know as a, unless i was starting for like a game like i want to show that obviously as like a backup that's kind of like the starters you know thing to do obviously and you see that a lot on tv you can't be quiet for one I mean, if you if you show everyone's looking to you to lead the team, and if you show that you're phased by things are not happening the way that you want to, and there's a lot of time left in the game, you still have all your players. You know, no one's injured. Like, let let's go, man. You know, and, and can't be quiet. It's on you to get everybody to still bring fight in that game. Uh, now, look, you know, there are there's times that you have you can't do you have injuries you have bad weather conditions it's just like this is kind of a freak time you know it happens you know what i mean and but there are times like you, you can't you, you don't ever want to stop until the clock stops um and sometimes your offensive line may say you know f this like i'm done like i'm i'm, I'm tired of this like they're not going to do that in the first quarter second quarter that's a lot of football left i mean you usually see that like 7 minutes left in the third in the fourth and you're down by 17 you know but it is frustrating. I know they're definitely feeling it after that loss to us. Um, that program is going to need going to need some help and, and some boost and, and really a new start. And that probably will come with the new head coach changing that program around. Um, but yeah, I mean it's tough. The biggest thing I say is just you, you can't be silent because people are looking at your actions and, and your mood to lead the team. How good is Hendon Hooker? Uh, good. <laughs> he is. He is uh his his accuracy and and calmness of sitting in the pocket and then just anticipation for when that obviously the throw on the on the last drive like you know it's not like he's just a wild cannon roll it out chunk it like it, this dude's this dude's precise um, he's a very very solid quarterback man and to do what he did at home I think he deserves all the credit for that and and I think Josh Heupel is great. Well, just again, the way the bits and pieces I heard of talking about a simple game plan, I was like, I'll take that plus nine and put my paycheck on it, knowing how he's going to do it. That's at least how we did it on this. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, he, and having a quarterback, he's a very, he was a quarterback, you know, back in the day and played college football. And a lot of that, not always, but, you know, a guy that's played the position that is now running a, a head coach of a big time program. Uh, that has a good offensive mind and knows how to attack certain things, I can see paying off. It doesn't surprise me, I guess, in a sense. State loses a game at Kentucky that they probably felt like they should have won. 
in a game like this, I thought that I thought about you when I was watching the end of this game. Mississippi State in the games that they Leach is like nine and twelve in the SEC or something like that. In the games that they've won, they've run for an average of like eighty-five yards. When the games that they lost, they've run for like an average of like forty-one. I mean, it's a pretty stark difference. I was curious. Rodgers is not a mobile quarterback. He's pretty good at what he does. I know as a quarterback, you want the ball in your hands every play. That's just how you guys are wired. But would you be frustrated at all where State like Denver tried to run the football? They had, I think their running backs got seven carries in that game. One of them had like two carries for 16 yards. It doesn't take a mathematician to tell you that's eight yards a carry. Seems pretty good. But they just didn't even try. And I know as a quarterback, again, you want to have the ball in your hands every play. Would you sense yourself getting frustrated in game, whether it's the play calling or just the way you guys are going about things in general, where you're not even trying to run the football and it's on you every play? I get it, air raid system's unique, but for a guy that doesn't run that doesn't run at all as a quarterback, they're not even trying to run the ball. For what he is, it seemed like they put him in a tough position to succeed because Kentucky, for whatever it was defensively, was doing pretty well against what State was trying to do, throw, throwing the football. Would you find yourself getting frustrated at all at the fact that you're not even trying to run it? It's not the fact that you're not having success. They're just not even trying. Uh, I mean, truly throwing 45, 50 times a game and racking up these completions. Uh, you know, there's there's kind of two parts of that. I, a lot of it is I don't know. But I do know that Leak, offensive coordinator, or what they see up top, throwing it seven times in a row <laughs> – even if they're playing Tampa two, you know, another form of cover two, they're playing trap, they're playing cover three. Like they know they're, I think they're so well prepared that when you call a, a scat route, when you call a cross route, when you call a double slant, when you call a smash, just naming off these two man combination routes, that if your coaches were calling air raid and they're not calling it into the right coverages, and you go one, Two not there. Three, my read's not there. Okay, like I'm, I'm in trouble, right? They get they. I don't think that happens to them a lot. I mean, I think they're really, really good at when they call it to where they almost are like, I don't care what you put out in front of me. You know, I'm, I'm playing checkers up in this box up top, right? Sure. Uh, but I, I, and I don't know like if running it here or there helps balance that out, or if they like seeing multiple throws in a row to see how that DB reacts, to see how that safety reacts, to see if they're doing the same coverage two or three times, and they start getting a feel of it, that they kind of need to see that over a course of a good amount of passes and how they react to their route combination. Um, so I, I don't I don't know. You would think it would, right? I mean, ours is different. I mean, I, ours, is, ours is different. I mean, Freeze was not air raid. I mean, it, it's just a, it's a different version. Um, so I, I really don't know. I don't know if it would help. I'm not sure if they've really been – I mean, these offensive linemen are pass blocking and pass blocking. They probably got muscle memory to set in their stance and hold yeah. their spot, hold their ground compared to actually go forward for once in their life and push downfield. Um, you know, I'm not really sure. It is interesting, um, but you, I, don't know. I have no idea. I'm not sure what happened to them in that game. And, and uh, you know, I haven't really – I really haven't watched State that much. I mean, I feel like – the air raid is pretty darn successful if they are comfortable with that, knowing the team's defensive scheme. Perhaps the greatest question I've ever asked on this podcast, Hugh Freeze, Auburn head coach, thoughts? Yeah, I can see it happening. I mean, I, I know he do. sure as hell wants to be back down here. I mean, his daughter Reagan 
probably, I don't know how old she is now. I mean, she went to college there. I don't know how sure many years ago that was, but pretty sure she went there. Um, and, you know, he was always close with Gus Malzahn. They would call a lot and talk against how to scheme against other teams that they've, like, the former played the week before, et cetera. Um, you know, it's a deep south conservative school, I would say, in the sense of way, like, he, he probably will like. But it's a uh, – going to be weird for me and a lot of other guys to see his face uh just back on the on the big screen that much but i mean it's i think he served his time and in, in parchment up there in, in that conference so i think the sec might finally have given up time to come back it's like parchment but also a white collar prison at the same time because it's like the like that was like a bad i, I was probably it's like perfectly suited conference. for him but it is not where he wants to be type of thing exactly the uh, last thing, and I'll package it into an old Miss question, and this is probably better suited after next week, which is a lot of what I wrote about today. Do you think, you know, Alabama's got the loss. Ole Miss technically, as you sit here on October 18th or whatever the hell date this is, is first in the SEC West. Do you think with everything around them, you consider Arkansas, LSU, Auburn, the state of those programs, do you think this team can win the SEC West? Um, I, I... I was hoping I, I don't I don't feel confident saying that right now because okay. but, but but because I did not think Auburn was that strong of a team yeah. and the the way that we called when we went up 21-0 they should have never been in that game. They should have absolutely never been in that game. And that was a time to actually make a statement and I think to let Jackson finally let loose and be comfortable at home before going on the road. And and that was the, that was it. Like that was a statement game when everything went so perfect right out the gate and we called our way back into this. Um, we haven't gone on the road in the SEC yet. Um, so I, it, that's tough to say. I, I, that's tough to say. I don't feel – some people may be like, we're 7-0, we can do it. But I'm like, Jackson hasn't gone 25 for 32 for 350 yards and three touchdowns and one pick. Right. And that's not his fault. And that's not – I'm not – and that's nothing like – We I'm just haven't really seen it. That opportunity. He hasn't seen it. And then we haven't seen it because we haven't been behind. We haven't seen it because we're running – all over on the ground, and then we haven't seen it because we we kind of overdid it last week with our the way we called that game and let Auburn play along with us, and and I'm, I guess I'm all speaking from an offensive perspective. Auburn, I, I can't remember the score of LSU Auburn. I think it was a pretty close game or a pretty good game, but our defense was you know a little bit more vulnerable than I wanted to see. I wish we could stay, keep you know keep Robin a little bit more. You know we they pop some big they. We, we weren't as solid on defense, I guess, to back up what yeah. uh, the positives we have on offense. And that all takes a team to win these games, to win the West. You know, it's not just Jackson. It's not just a running game or play calling. It takes a full team effort. So I, you can ask me that question. You're right, like after LSU. And I just like to see – we just haven't been in that tough situation yet. So that's just – which is weird being 7-0 and saying that. But we didn't play a big out-of-conference game, right? We didn't play it on the first opening week. We didn't play it like week three or four. Uh, our ACC team was weak. And, you know, the first big games are – Kentucky's a good team. But luckily it was at home, you know, and then we'd have to – this team would have to travel. So it really is a – it's going to be interesting to see. I think it's very much up in the air right now. He is Ryan Buchanan. He's got a couple years of eligibility left. Most people are saying that he might go to Auburn with Hugh Freeze. I- nine, nine fingers. <laughs> just, just, just ask me.
<laughs> Ryan Buchanan, I want to see how bad I could freak you out before we got off the pod. I appreciate the time as always, my man. Heal up that thumb and we'll holler at you next week. That was Ryan Buchanan. Appreciate his time as always. We'll chat with him next week. And now we're going to get to Nick Broker, the Nick Broker Show. But before we do that, I want to take a quick break to remind you. Podcast is brought to you by LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. I had some more filet burgers and a ton of sausage over the weekend. Thanks to Greg. It is absolutely the best place to get mis- get meat in Mississippi. If you're a Rippy Rights newsletter subscriber, that's rippyrights.substack.com. Get a newsletter from me a couple of times a week, plus discounted meats. Right now it's a 16-ounce prime strip for 20 bucks and a $5 pack of sausage. That's a hell of a way to kickstart the grilling season. It was perfect grilling weather on Saturday. Fall is here. Great college football slate. Maybe go buy some for Saturday and then some for Sunday for the NFL slate. Uh, Greg is going to make sure you find whatever it is you need to grill. If he doesn't have it, he will get it for you. He wants to make your grilling experience awesome. Check him out. LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. All right. Here is Nick Broker. All right. We now welcome into the, I don't know, next edition of the Nick Broker Show. I can't count past five anyway. This one brought to you by Jacob Lovett Art. Friend of the podcast, one hell of an artist, still one of the more interesting interviews I've ever done. I, I didn't know jack shit about art, but I uh, just peppered him with questions for an hour, and it was really interesting to learn. So happy he's sponsoring this edition of the Nick Broker Show. We have Nick on the other end here. Ole Miss sitting 7-0, and second time since 1962. I don't think any of the listeners were alive for that one. If there are, I'd like to talk to them. How are we feeling? How, a little over halfway through the season, 7-0. and What's uh, what's happening? Not a whole lot, like you said. Uh Feeling pretty good this far. I know there's a lot of you know good teams uh, ahead of us, so got to c- continue to get better every day. But uh, you know, seven and zero is still a good start. How uh, how are you feeling? I know we talked about this a few times throughout the pod. I mean, offensive line, typical hand to hand combat every play. How do you feel health wise at this point in the season? I'm not asking you like disclose injuries. I'm not that dumb, but just how do you feel body wise? You know, seven games for the season compared to some other years. I still feel really good. I feel really good. I've gotten into a really good routine of what I want to do every day to kind of help my body feel fresh and everything. And our training staff does such a great job of, you know, working with us and taking care of us. And I've been eating a lot better and hydrating a lot better than usual, too, which has really helped me. Awesome. And I know it, it, it probably becomes a little bit more physical when you guys rush the football 49 times for, or excuse me, 69 times. Nice. Uh, 448 yards, like seven yards to carry. You guys went three guys over 100 yards for the game. I had that stat at one point. I don't remember the last time that happened, but it's been a while. I want to say at least 15 years or so. You guys really punished Auburn, as you've done to so many teams this year via the ground game. I know we talked a little bit this about this after the Kentucky game. Was there a point in that game where you kind of knew they didn't have a ton of answers for you guys on the ground? And, you know, you talked about it wearing on opponents and you guys kind of feed off that. Was this a similar vibe or was this game kind of like for you? Yeah, definitely. I think you can kind of see it wear, wear on, especially as the, or excuse me, as the game goes on and kind of get later in. And especially on a day like uh, this past Saturday, because it wasn't particularly cold. It felt like it was still pretty warm, especially – we were playing and everything. So I think those are things that kind of take a toll on people. Auburn had a pretty talented defensive line. I mean, that they pretty much do every year. I know each one is different, but was that among the best you guys had faced at this point? I know they had some struggles collectively as a football team, but they still had some dudes up front. Do you think that was, you know, the best or one of the best you guys had faced this year? 
Yeah, definitely. So, and like you said, they always have really good players. I mean, every year I've played at Auburn, it's been just a really physical game, a really tough game, but one that's really fun at the same time. You know, they're an interesting situation. They've struggled this year. There's a lot of noise regarding the coaching staff and all that. They're down a quarterback. They got down, you guys got up 21 to nothing in that game. And to Auburn's credit, they didn't quit. They continued to fight and they continued to play hard throughout the entirety of that game. But when you guys get opponents on the ropes like that, you've had it a, a couple happen a couple times in your career where they've had a rough year. Not that you're like expecting them to wilt or to quit, but does that ever creep into the back of your mind where, hey, if we get up on these guys, they've kind of had a lot go through it this year. Like, do you ever kind of sense that, I don't know, this doesn't seem to be going their way and they might kind of just go through the motions? Auburn didn't do that. I just wonder if you can ever sense that on a football field when you're kind of put, punishing a team into submission like that. Yeah, I feel like when you're up on teams like that, you can kind of uh, like sense blood in the water, so to speak. Yeah. And obviously, like you said, Auburn came back and um, scored. They responded really early on. I think they scored right after we scored to go 21-0. I think they, they had a touchdown drive and, and we didn't score and they came back and scored again. So next thing you know, it was you know, one possession game and it was one possession game for a little bit in the second half too. So, um, yeah, it was a really tough team. And, you know, they played they played really hard too. I, uh, I don't want to get you in trouble here, but I saw you for a second in the Grove after the game. You were giving a, a guy the business a couple of times. All legal, all just through the whistle, good hard-nosed football. But uh, that was uh, definitely the most I've seen you kind of finish a play. I don't know if it was the same guy both times. Did we have a chirping situation you had to take care of? What was going on there? Because you certainly ended up on the better side of that. Yeah, definitely. And that, that's just always kind of how I've been. You know, I like to finish through the whistle and uh, be a little chippy. Um, that's just kind of how I was – Taught to play, kind of play through the echo of the whistle. So that that's always been what I've tried to do. Do you get to a point where this like that like you you have to happen? You're like, hey, dude, I don't know if you forgot, but I'm a pretty big guy. Like you probably don't want to mess with me on that. Do you kind of say that without saying it? Uh, not necessarily. I mean, at the end of the day, we're all big guys. <laughs> like every every person, especially on the SEC field, like y'all kind of grow up. Like everybody kind of grows up being like the best guy on their high school team, the best guy in their conference, and in most cases, best guy in their states and things like that. The uh, We talked about the running game a lot this year, and with good reason. It's kind of been the core of you guys' offense. But Jackson went over 100 yards in this game, and that's the second week in a row he's really utilized his feet. Seems like mostly in design run calls, more so than scrambling. But, you know, this is back-to-back -back years where you guys have had a quarterback that is a more than capable runner um, I actually think in a lot of ways, Corral didn't get a ton of as much credit he deserved for how good his vision was and how efficient of a runner as he was. Now that you kind of played behind both of them, are there any similarities and differences in how they run the football? I'm just curious. It's two different mobile quarterbacks. What are they kind of like each? What kind of similar and different things do they do running the football? I think one thing that to me has always been really you know similar with them is they 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 kind of read the blocks really well and do a really good job of they. I, I feel like both of them, like, I feel like when quarterbacks run with the ball, they always think like, oh, I'm the quarterback. And I feel like Jackson and Matt, they don't really think of themselves as a quarterback when they run the ball. I feel like they don't, neither one of them really like slide and things like that. And that's more so what I mean by that. Like they're looking for contact. They're looking to kind of lower their shoulder and make moves and things like that. That's kind of been one thing that's really stuck out to me between the both of them. And like Georgia Tech, uh, yeah, Darden destroyed had, that one guy. Yeah, Jackson lowered his shoulder. Matt had a few runs like that. I remember Arkansas, I think his helmet got pulled off on a two-point play when he was trying to get into the end zone. Like, 
I think like the toughness factor for both of them is pretty and like just the competitiveness. And, this, and for particularly for a new quarterback like Jackson, not at the him running over a guy against Georgia Tech like he had anything to prove, but he was a relatively new player at that point. Like when something like that happens and you think, okay, like you just said, this guy didn't really think of himself as a quarterback. He's just out here as a football player wanting to seek out contact. I mean, that's got to be something that you guys as an offense and really as a team as a whole can kind of rally around where, you know, the signal caller, you know, he's the most protected guy on the team for a lot of different reasons, simply because of the nature of the way he plays. But when you have a guy like that, that one doesn't fear, it, but two is like, I'm ready to get in the mix too. Do you guys kind of feed off that a little bit? Yeah, definitely. I think it really fires you up and something all the guys really gravitate towards, you know, especially the offensive line. You know, seeing runs like that, it kind of fires you up a little bit. For sure. And so as you guys wade into the second half of the season, and I know that was technically the seventh game, but this is really when I think when, you know, schedule comes out, everyone's kind of looking up and down. You're thinking, could this team start seven and oh, and then you finish with the West, obviously starting with Auburn last week, but everything's right out in front of you guys with five games to go. There's a bye week mixed in. It's it. I know as football players, you guys can't be like, all right, we made it to X date in October and we got five games left. I mean, you know, we guys would be a mess trying to think about it like that. But as you continue to eat inch deeper into the season, does you know everything that you guys want to attain start to feel a little bit more real just because in the simple nature that it's closer, you only got to get through five more games. Does it start to feel more real when you get to this point in the year and you guys have played as well as you have collectively? Yeah, definitely. I think one thing that's really cool about this team and this program is we still have the same mindset as we did week one, where it's just going one and oh each week and <coughs> excuse me, get well just get better every day at practice and you know, watching film and everything, just doing whatever it takes to win on Saturday and then we'll worry about the next one when we get there. For sure. And we talked about the expectations changing with this program and you guys in your class have been a huge part of that. I mean, I think one of the things that was evident about it was the fact that you guys beat Vanderbilt to move to six and oh, I, I know in every year I was covering Ole Miss and probably for most of the time I've been alive, there'd have been some pretty big game note about they got bowl eligible again for the third, fourth time in X how many years doesn't really matter. No one really talked about that. No one really noticed. I mean, I, I you guys probably don't look at it that way, but that to me was a pretty big sign of kind of expectations changing. It was just kind of business as usual where I promise you, and you know, in years past, it hasn't always been that way with this program where it, it was just kind of weird sitting there that y'all got to six and no, and no one's literally thinking about bowl eligibility. Is that kind of a glimpse into how expectations have changed for you guys? Yeah, definitely. Like it's not about just making a bowl game. You know, we want to, win as many games as possible and play, you know, for championships here. Now that's kind of the expectation that this program's at now. For sure. So you guys get to go down to LSU. I know you've talked about a lot about how you enjoy playing on the road. You kind of like having just the team and it feels like everybody's against you. I feel like this is kind of the Mecca of that from the noise of the stadium to where everything's situated. I mean, how it feels like even the bottom rows kind of, on top of you to the point where I'm sure you guys can hear people yelling at you. This is your first time playing down there in front of a uh, like a real crowd, right? Because you guys played them here your freshman year, 19, clearly COVID in 2020. This is kind of your first crack at it. Are you excited? Like what's kind of the mindset going down to play in a place like that? Yeah, I'm really excited. Like you said, I really enjoy road games, kind of being with everybody. And it's just us really, you know, it's whoever's in that locker room. And um, that's the exciting part. And I kind of like it, you know, I love playing on the road. Is that it's, it's so interesting the way the schedule is set up because and look we talked about this pretty openly on the pod like Georgia Tech tunnel miss fans wasn't exactly a full environment Vanderbilt kind of the same way 
this is really kind of your guys' first true road test, and it's just kind of a weird thing that you're going to get to like the fourth Saturday in October before that happens. It's not necessarily a good or a bad thing, but is that something that you guys talk about at all in preparation or practice? Like, does it feel like the first true road test, or do y'all not think about it that way? No, we definitely do. I mean, we have the crowd music on during practice, but I think, you know, going back to those first two road games, it was really good for us to kind of get those road games under our belt for some of the younger guys that maybe not have traveled to an away game and understand that even though, you know, we're flying on a plane and we're not staying in Oxford, it's still, we're still here to win a game and that's still the same mission. So I think from that perspective of we, we had two road games that obviously weren't like quite the hostile environment we're going to play this week and it was still kind of good you know, to rehearse, like, just little things like going on the plane and things like that. For sure. Kind of going back to the Auburn game for a second, Dayton Wade made a significant impact on that game. He's a guy that I know from, like, a media standpoint we've heard about since the beginning of camp. Um, Walk-on comes down from Western Kentucky. I, I think this guy, Jacor Pearson, called him up and was basically like, hey, pretty awesome down here. You should probably drop everything you're doing and come. And to the kid's credit, he did it. One of the things I have heard just from a couple people – that is, he's quite the character. He's quite the lively personality. Uh, what's it been like kind of getting to know him, kind of give us a glimpse of what he is like as a person and a football player as well? Yeah, he, yeah he's awesome. His locker's like right across from mine in the locker room, and he's always full of energy, always in like this really good mood, always has a smile on his face. And, you know, it just makes, makes coming to practice more fun when you can see a guy like that in the morning. And, you know, he just wants to practice. He's here to play football, and he loves it. And, you know, that – definitely you know shines on everybody else yeah for sure I mean I remember an interview during camp where he came and it was just kind of a dog days of camp you know who's next in the interview process and he got up to the microphone and I remember watching it on YouTube and I was like Jesus this guy's happier than about everything like about anything that I've ever been happy about in like the last year like I need to somehow match some of this energy and I imagine some of it's infectious but just the fact that he is a walk-on and he did take a risk to come down here and do this right he played pretty sporadically at Western Kentucky kind of came out here on a limb and not that the guys on scholarship, like take anything for granted. I know you guys know how fortunate for the position you are to be in, but just to have a guy like that, that's in the mix, not necessarily running scout team, but really kind of you know, having a chance to make an impact on this team, being a walk-on didn't really have an easy road and anything given to him. Does that part of it rub off on people too, as far as the energy, because that is a really remarkable path that, you know, I think if you take a poll of all the walk-ons and, you know, D1 college football, I wouldn't say the success rate is that high. And it, it's a remarkable story. And I'm just curious if you guys are kind of cognizant of that as you're watching him do the things that he does. Yeah, definitely. I think that, you know, like you were saying, it's kind of a tough lifestyle sometimes to be a walk-on. Fortunately here, like we don't really care about things like that. Everybody's kind of treated the same and everybody kind of gets the same opportunity to play and get reps. And he had a really good spring and, um, obviously just carried that throughout, you know, the summer workouts and through fall camp and, and, you know, had a phenomenal game last Saturday, made a ton of plays, had a touchdown, had a bunch of explosive runs. And he just does some some little things really well too that like I think people wouldn't really think about. Like one time he made a really heads up play on a kickoff and was on the sideline, made sure to get out of bounds before he touched it. So we got the ball, you know, 45 yards ahead of where he caught it um, or whatever and blocks really well, just – does every little thing the coaches ask so he's a great example for everybody on the team 
He's also a great example of the way that Kiffin and Weiss get different guys, the football tailored to their strengths. I mean that, you know, he ran, I think like three, four times for 65 yards. Again, like I said, made a huge impact on that game, but it seemed like the way they got in the ball kind of really tailored to his strengths, kind of the same thing with Judkins, the same thing with Evans for someone that like, if you can think back to when you were kind of learning the system and learning kind of what Kiffin values and what he doesn't value. And I'm sure there's some you know small changes when Weiss comes in as well, but can you tell, when you're kind of you're doing the installs and you guys are learning how the offense works that like this is a smart way to go about doing things because I think one of the things that stuck out this year is just how creative you guys are in the running game and the different concepts you have and just how wide open some of these holes are sometimes you know as a football like I guess in your football mind can you tell like through install and all that that this is a very smart way to approach things because clearly the results speak for themselves yeah Definitely. I mean, you can kind of get a first glance of just how brilliant all the coaches are and how creative they can be to, you know, I mean, I feel like the name of the game nowadays, especially is just get you the, the ball to your playmakers with an opportunity to make plays and have green grass in front of them. I feel like that's something we, we certainly do a really good job of as, you know, collectively as a coaching staff, they do. I know you love run blocking. There were a couple of plays where it looked like they pulled you and Jaden Williams kind of, I mean, that has to be a scary sight for anyone standing there in the hole. Is that an enjoyable piece of the offense when you have, whether it's just you or him on the other side too, and it's kind of both of y'all one, I imagine you have some space to kind of get going and go downhill and really get after guys, but is that a more fun part of the offense to you? Yeah, for me, definitely. Cause I like to show off my athletic ability whenever I can. I feel like that's something I, I, it's kind of a strong suit of my game is how athletic I am. And like you said, getting a little head start, you know, um, it worked pretty effectively for us. So, Jonathan Mingo and Malik Heath were guys that had come off back-to-back 100-yard games coming into that. It seemed like the game plan was a little bit different because you guys didn't really have to throw the football a lot. The Auburn really didn't have an answer for you. But one of the things I thought was interesting that I've heard a couple of times over the last two weeks, particularly as it pertains to Mingo, is kind of the unselfish nature that he has. I mean, I think Kiffin had the little uh, monologue a couple of weeks ago where he talked about, like, you know, you put a bunch of guys in a room when you take a job and you ask them how many love football, they all raise their hand. But in hindsight, that's not true. And you can kind of tell which ones really do from the way they work. I think he said during the delay, like Mingo had not yet had a catch in the game, but he was talking about how like badass the crack blocking was. Just kind of give me a little insight on what he's like to be around and what he's like as a worker, because it seems pretty clear at this point that the unselfish nature that he has about him really kind of rubs off on other people. I mean, how the head coach noticed pretty quickly too. Yeah. I mean, Mingo's goes awesome to be around because he, like, like you said, he just does everything right. He does everything the right way. He works his tail off. He never complains. He never um, says anything. He's never negative and you know, he just wants to win at the end of the day. And, you know, it's great to have guys with that mentality in the locker room. Did you know the onside kick was coming? Really? So like, obviously like, so you guys finished. So that was a, just a shocker. Like, holy hell, we got the football again. Like, what is that like? Because like when you're standing on the sidelines, I feel like you just finished off a drive. You probably think at least there's going to be some time that all of a sudden you have the football again. Clearly, it's an exciting thing. But what is that moment like where you're like, oh, man, we just did this? Yeah, it's awesome. And I, I think that's kind of part of the strategy, too. Obviously, like if we knew <coughs> the ball was coming towards us, you know, we probably would have had guys walk around, maybe start strapping up the helmet. Sure. Those like little subtle cues, you know, maybe some of the press boxes. So, um, yeah, it was awesome though. <laughs> that was awesome. I mean, it was executed to perfection. It was one of those, I love like the gotcha moments in football where it's like caught you sleeping here. Like this was a, you know, a kind of a deficiency you had in your game plan. And this staff is very 
very good at capitalizing on it. As you guys look at LSU this week, it's a team first-year head coach. They have some talent. They've hit the portal pretty hard like you guys did in the offseason as well to kind of supplement some talent they had exiting the program. But just kind of your general idea of what you guys have learned so far about what they are as a defense. They have some really talented defensive linemen. They always have talent littered across the board on defense. But just what have you seen from them so far um, as a defense? Yeah, like you said, they – they're just loaded with talent. They have a ton of good players, some really good depth and a lot of experience together. They have some older guys and some transfer guys that played a lot of ball like at other schools and everything like that. So um, just across the board, just really good players and uh, a really good group. They uh they do the five-yard line marker thing. I've never really understood that. This probably is a stupid question, but do you ever – like, did you get out on the field the first time? Or like, what the hell is this? I'd have never understood. If you ever noticed this, they mark the – like, every yard line has the numbers by it. Like, I, I don't I, – like, 45, 50, whatever. I'm just curious, like, if you ever got down there the first time in 2020, it was like, what is this? Because it makes the field look kind of unique. I, I guess I never really thought about that. Yeah, I forgot they did that. Well, if you ever get distracted a moment in a game, you can now just blame it on me for looking at something that you probably shouldn't have been looking at. But There's a 35, yeah. I was just looking at the, like a picture of their field today. I was like, I've never understood why they do that. So you guys have – obviously, this is a massive game coming up, and each one of these down the stretch is going to be crucial. You guys seem to be in a pretty decent spot overall from a health standpoint. I mean, I know I asked you some version of this at the top of it, but like – can you get a sense at practice every day that you guys can really feel that everything you want to attain is still in front of you? Cause look, everyone has goals at the beginning of the season, but by the time mid to late October hits for a lot of teams, those, some of them at least pass them by. Can you kind of get a sense each week as you guys keep winning games that, you know, you guys can really feel that everything you want to do is just right there for the taking. Yeah, definitely. I think that's something that we've noticed that um, just continue to do what we want to do which is go and want to know every week you know things will take care of themselves at the end what do you do during a rain delay that was this or excuse me what even a rain delay it was a lightning delay that was a very strange time in a football game to have a lightning delay i can't remember far back like to the beginning of your career has that ever happened before what did you do during it yeah the only thing last year we had the two lane game but the game was started late that's so right that, that's right. So you that never, was different like, though i feel like that's different than the game happening or whatever uh, we just went back to the locker room and um, sat around and everything um, got warmed up right before. But the coaches, you know, obviously had a coaches meeting and we uh, kind of had an idea of like, these are the plays we'll, 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 we kind of like. And this is what we're potentially going to run for the uh, that last drive we had after Prince's interception. Yeah, for sure. Did y'all do like the halftime locker room or do you go all the way back to the full thing? We went back to the full thing. It's a, it's a lot bigger. There's more room, so. Were you all confused? Because I imagine even if there's lightning just like right around the stadium, you like couldn't see hear it. But I mean, even the stands, because you're focused on the game, but even in the stands, I mean, if that thing was if within eight miles, it had to be seven and three quarters. I mean, I was the, I'm not a weatherman, but I was pulling up the radar and I was like, this doesn't make a ton of sense. Where you, like when, when they stop a game like that, when you guys are so locked in, is there a moment where you're like, what is going on here? I imagine that had to be jarring in some sense, particularly like fourth quarter. Yeah, it was shocking just because like you said, there's – like six minutes left in the game. So that was kind of the last thing you really would think about. Yeah. And like, it didn't seem like there, you know, the sky didn't look very clear. I just thought it was a very strange way to end what was already a pretty, pretty long football game. I guess to wrap up here, I'd be remiss if it, with an art sponsored podcast. Can you draw it all? I, Troy Brown, I know, is a drawer. I got my motor skills checked to like seventh grade. I, I can't draw anything. Are you an, do you have any sort of artistic creativity in you? 
No, not really. I can't. I can't even <laughs> really draw a stick figure. I, I can't either. I have like the handwriting of a serial killer, so like drawing was never, uh, never yeah, in the cards. Yeah, it was never in the cards for either. On top of being left-handed, where you just smudge everything as you're yeah. right off, it's really just a uh, just a tough scene all around. Well, dude, I appreciate the time as uh, as as we yeah. are every week. Absolutely. I really enjoyed getting to do these. Best of luck this weekend, and uh, we'll chat again soon, man. Sounds good. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks to Nick for his time. As always, that'll do it for the show today. If you made it to the end, I appreciate you making this pod a part of your day. Looking forward to the final five weeks of the season. We'll be back on Friday with a look at LSU plus fresh cuts picks as always. Y'all have a great middle of your week.